I want to talk to you about the devil this morning. <laughs> now, I want you to know I'm not a devil guy, okay? But there is a devil, and uh, he needs to be dealt with. Uh, he has been dealt with. Uh, so I'm, uh, Jesus wanted us to, to pray. Uh, do not lead us into temptation. This is Matthew six thirteen. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That's really what I want to talk about this morning. Um, you know, in the Old Testament, uh, but just remember, I'm not a devil guy, okay? I don't think about the devil a lot, but I learned, I've learned in my life that you, uh, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 11, or yeah, 2 Corinthians 2 verse 11, do not be unaware of the devil's schemes. In other words, you need to be aware. We have an enemy, and I'm going to hopefully help you with that in a little bit, but so, uh, in the Old Testament, if you look at the Old Testament, uh, the only places I can find Satan manifested himself four times in the Old Testament. Okay, Satan himself. And the first one, of course, was with Eve in the garden where he, he lied to her. Okay, and so that really kind of tells you right off the bat his, one of his modes of operation. Uh, another time he, uh, of course, in the book of Job, he, he comes up and brings in sickness on Job, brings economic loss, brings loss of loved ones. So that's six, sickness, suffering, and uh, uh, economic loss is another thing that, that he did in the Old Testament. Then he appeared to, or God stirred up David's heart, King David, uh, with pride, um, and, you know, so he's really, he really kind of goes after our will a lot. Our, not my will, but your will. Um, when David counted, did a census where the Lord really told him not to do that. So that's, that's the, and then the last one was Joshua, the high priest in Zechariah, I think it's Zechariah 3, where the enemy brought some pretty heavy accusations against Joshua. And so those are like the four times. But then when you turn over into the New Testament, uh, Satan obviously appears to Jesus, but then there's demons everywhere, right? I mean, the whole New Testament is full of demonic, uh, you know, the Gospels are like demon after demon, you know. So what, what that means is, you know, Satan has always been clever. He's always been hidden. But when Jesus came on the scene, you know, light exposes darkness, right? And so there's a lot of hidden things that are happening in the world. Um, and so what we got to do is, have a really understanding of how to, how to deal with the devil. Um, years ago, um, I had this dream. I was at a men's retreat. I'll tell you about this dream. This is really one where it really kind of opened my eyes to, to, how, to really how important this is. Is I was at a men's retreat in the mountains with a few guys, and I had this dream. And in the dream, there was a friend of mine I had worked with, and he had passed away a couple years earlier. Uh, from leukemia, and in the dream, I was standing on the, on this uh, shore of the, a beach, and this my friend, his name was John. He came jogging. I saw him jogging towards me, and I turned around, and he jogged up to me. And I said, "John, what are you doing here?" And he said, "Somebody is about to die," and he turned around and ran off. And I woke up like somebody's about to die, you know, and it really kind of shook me up. And then um, that morning, I get this phone call from good friend. Here actually a few weeks ago, Robin McMillan, and he was really upset. And this is what he said to him: He said, "Byron, I had a dream last night, and in the dream, Becky's sister Sharon 
called me and told me Becky had been killed. I called your house. This is back in the days when you called house phones. Some of y'all remember that, right? Everybody didn't carry their phone around. It was one, you had one phone. I called your house. Now, this is not the dream. He said, I woke up, I called your house, and Sharon answered the phone. And it scared him, scared him, and like, where's Becky, you know? And obviously, Becky was not dead. But so, you know, that dream, you know, all of that together really put, like, just disturbed me mightily, you know, that somebody's about to die, and then he has this dream about Becky dying and calls and Sharon, you know, told him in the dream, and then he calls the house, and Sharon is the one answering the phone. And so that really disturbed me, and I was really uh, put, you know, really came to an understanding, though, in that process that sometimes God reveals the devil's plan, okay? In other words, those dream, prophetic dreams, sometimes are not about what God wants to happen. It's what the devil wants to happen. Are y'all following that? Really important, because so you need to be able to discern, you know, what's the difference. And so that's what me and Robin, and I think maybe I didn't tell you, I don't know, but do you remember that? Yeah, she remembers it. Uh, we just discern like this is the devil's plan for Becky's life. He wants to kill her, and but we're but because the Lord has revealed this, he's not going to kill her. We're not going to allow this. We stood up against that, which was really the great was which was awesome. But the problem was, I was still, I still had anxiety in me about it. Okay, I would get up and go to work in the mornings and be driving down the road and like Lord, I just. I was scared. I was scared something was going to happen to her. Even though in my mind, I knew the Lord was saying no, but my heart, like I said a few weeks ago, your heart sometimes feels overwhelmed by things. So I had this anxiety and fear working against me. I can remember one morning I just was driving to work, and every time I would leave, I would be afraid. If I was at home, I was okay, because I thought, well, if the devil shows up at the house, he's going to have to go through me if he's going to get Becky, he's going to go over my dead body. That's how I, I felt about it. So I was, you know, like, yeah, I'm, I'm cool, man, while I'm around her. But, but when I was away from her, I was scared. And so I just remember one morning driving to work and just stopped the car. And I'm like, I just can't do this no more, Lord. And I prayed that prayer, Lord. Lord, I feel like I'm being tempted. I'm tempted, Lord, to believe something that's not true. And I ask you to get me out of this temptation deliver me from this evil and it was like at that moment that little scripture became so powerful in my life because God did he delivered me and freed me from being anxious and believing something that wasn't true that wasn't going to happen because he had already exposed it I think one of the things about uh, lead us not into temptation is uh, the Lord would never lead any of us into temptation that's what the Bible really is clear. James says it like this. He says, uh, James 1.14, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. I think a better way of saying that, uh, that we Westerners can understand that, okay, that was translated, is do not permit us to go into temptation that the enemy brings. You hear that? Do not permit us to go into temptation that the enemy brings. Um, don't allow us to follow our own self-destructive tendencies. That's, that's really true. 
don't listen to this. This is one I made up for me. Don't allow me to indulge in, to cater to, to compromise with the sins that so easily beset me. That's, a, that's how we could say, lead us not into temptation. Uh, here's a great thought, y'all. Is This is a very biblical thought. God has a perspective. We have a perspective. We see a lot of wrong in us. We see a lot of wrong with each other. But what if there wasn't as much wrong with you than you think? What if you wasn't as messed up as you thought? What if you've lived your life believing things that really were not true? And that you made decisions, you made choices, you had relational issues or whatever. You create a a world around you based on things that really are not true. I got a funny feeling when we get to heaven, God's going to say, you aren't nowhere near as messed up as you thought you were. You believed all this about yourself and you lived your life this way. And it created chaos because you believed something that wasn't true. See, if I would have went on and believed that, if I would have went on and carried on with that with Becky, it, it could have ate me up. It could have gave me ulcers. But I came to a point where I wanted to get free from that. And so what I want to begin to tell you to do, see, I've spent a lot of my life, you know, because I've had a lot of issues, okay? I was a guy that was born with issues, okay? You know, I just had lots of problems. My sister, did I tell you what my sister told me? Recently, I was talking to one of my sisters, and she said, wow, we were just mean when we grew up. We were just mean. We used to, me and my sister used to fight. <laughs> we used to get in, I had a sister I would get in little fist fights with, okay? And she would, you know, she was a mean fight. She could have been a lady mixed martial arts fighter. <laughs> I mean, I remember one time she, I had claw marks on my face. Because she, she was a dirty fighter. She'd kick you, pull your hair, scratch you. Do, if she could grab something, she would hit you. And she was two or three years older than me. And so, you know, I had to really, you know, I had to be on my toes to fight her. You know what I'm saying? And she was, we were talking on about, you know, we were talking about exercise. And <laughs> she said, so you got muscles now? Is that what you, you're telling? I guess I can't fight you no more. But she was talking about how mean we were as kids. And, you know, we just got in trouble all the time. And I never thought about me being a mean kid, but I was. <laughs> but I think what I'm trying to get at is I think I've spent my life believing something that wasn't true. I believe there was too much wrong with me. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, in the flesh there's a lot of wrong with us, right? Paul says in my flesh, but I'm not talking about my flesh. I'm talking about for those who, of us who are in Christ, If you're in Christ, the truth is there's nothing wrong with you. There's really nothing wrong with those who are in Christ. And when when we begin to live, you know, to live the life of Christ and believe what Jesus believes. See, we've got to shift our believing, okay? We've got to shift our believing. Because the more you see wrong in you, you see you reflect that into other people. And ultimately, that goes back to what you see wrong with God. But that's a whole other topic. Are y'all following me? Yeah, amen. Let me read this verse. I read it to you a couple of weeks ago. I want to talk to you about the kingdom of God's effect on the power of Satan in our life. Number one, I'm just going to give you a few basic things here, but this is very important for us to really have this, at least in my opinion. Colossians 1.13, He has delivered us from the power or authority of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. That's really what happened at the cross 
And the, and the kingdom is really about the rule and reign of Christ. We have literally been placed into that place. We've literally, the power, the authority of the devil has really been broken over our lives. That's literally what happened at the cross. So, for, like I said a few weeks ago, from God's perspective, that's a finished work. That's a done deal. There's nothing else to do. You don't have to work yourself to get there. But from our perspective, we, we have just things we had to do, but not to earn it, but to allow that to become the reality in our life. Uh, Colossians 2.15, I just love this. Uh, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphant over them in it, talking about the cross. Paul was alluding to what the Roman Empire would do when they would go and defeat another country. They'd get their kings, their best people, and march them in in a parade, buck naked, to show how defeated they were. And that's really what that verse means, that God has made a spectacle of the enemy, absolutely defeated, and not only defeated him, took all his weapons away from him. The devil does not have any weapons. He does not have, that's what that says. We believe he does. We feel like we do. We feel attacked. We feel this. We feel that. But the Bible and the work of the cross says it's absolutely not the truth. Okay, And when we begin to believe that, we begin to believe this, this thing that has happened to this enemy, Okay, then we can begin to rise up and take authority over him. Are y'all following me? But you should say to me, if you were a smart person, you should say, well, what about Ephesians, Ephesians 6? What about spiritual armor? If the devil's defeated, right? If the devil is defeated... The same person who wrote this, that God has disarmed him, is also writing to these other people saying, hey, you better get your armor on. You better have a shield or have a sword. You better have a helmet because there's these fiery darts, right? There's these fiery darts from the devil that's coming at you. You better know that. And he said, you better have yourself equipped to deal with those fires. What, what does that mean? I mean, what are that? That's the question. I'm glad y'all asked that. <laughs> Let me read First, First Corinthians. Like I said, this is kind of a flyover. Um, and Paul is, man, First Corinthians 15 is a very powerful chapter in the Bible. If you, it talks about the resurrection and all that. This is really a, pretty amazing. It's long, but, but I'm just jumping into this one little thing here. When he talks about the end... When he, speaking of Jesus Christ, delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule, all authority, all power, that's everything. That's man, that's devils, that's, it's all coming to an end. Okay? But, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. See, here's the thing. Jesus has defeated the devil at the cross, but the devil is not yet under Jesus' feet. you got to know that. He's not been placed under his feet yet. That's what he's telling us. This thing, even though the devil's defeated, even though the devil's disarmed, he's not yet been squashed by Christ. God in his wisdom has allowed this thing, and I'll tell you why in a minute. Are y'all following this? Okay, this is really, really important. So... You know, although we're in the kingdom of God, right? 
the lies, the slander, the accusations, the temptations of the devil, we are not, they're still there. They're still coming at us. Those are the fiery darts. They're accusations. There's lies. They're deceptions. They're meant to take you out. And so when we receive, that's why Paul said you've got to resist those things. You've got to stand against those things. Because if you receive them, if you believe them, then you're going to act on them. You're going to live them. And that's why I'm saying most of us, well, for me, and I think most of the people sitting in this room, you are not as bad as you think. A lot of it's lies that the devil has told you or some person that the devil has used to tell you. You've been accused. You've been lied to. You have had the enemy go into your life, and you're, li- you're not living your best life. You are living a lesser life because you're believing things that are not true. And those things are binding you and holding you down. I'm just telling you the way it is. That's what's wrong with humanity today. That's why people love socialism. They're believing a lie. It's just something that's going to corrupt them. It's something that's going to bring them down. But they don't know because the devil's clever. He's a clever liar. And so we base our whole life on something that's really not true. For me, for me, I have lived my life I, like I was, I was talking to Becky this morning. I never could enjoy the moment. I never could learn to live in the moment. Okay, because I was always trying to achieve something. I was trying to get somewhere. And I'm a big believer in hope and the future and all that. Right? But I believe God has called us to live in this moment. That we're to enjoy life. We are literally to enjoy life. He put us on this earth to enjoy life. Not for all this that we're doing and to ourselves. Am I talking to anybody? Am I the only messed up human being in this room? I'll admit I messed up. I'll admit I believe things wrong. I admit that I have went from from goal to goal, of purpose to purpose, and it has absolutely ate me up. Ate me up. And I couldn't enjoy. But when I step back and look at what God has done for me in my life, He has blessed me. He has loved me. He looks at me as His child. He cherishes me. But something in me tells me He doesn't. Something tells me I got to do something. Something tells me this lie that I got to keep working harder. I look at what other people are doing, I feel like a failure. And I feel like I need to. Does anybody else do that stupidity? You know, I compare myself. All the things the Bible says not to do, all of those are the things that the devil fires at us constantly. And we're living in this world that's being covered with this stuff. A canopy of lies is around us. A canopy. A canopy of lies. A canopy of deception. A canopy of half-truths. And God is looking for some people who can break through that canopy. We wonder, well, we believe in an open heaven, but why does it feel like it? Why don't we connect with it? Because there's a canopy of lies between us and the open heaven. And we've got to pull those lies down. We've got to break the power of those things over our lives. And that's really what the Holy Spirit wants to do. Are y'all? Yeah, amen. Let me read this one to you. Ephesians 1, 2, 1 through 2. This is very important. It's all important, right? Okay, I'm not going to ask you if you're all right, because Becky will hit me if I do. So, amen, Lord. Yes. Listen to this. This is right. Hey, actually, you know, this, this thought here in Ephesians 2, take the chapter out, take the 1 and 2 out. It is a continuation of a prayer he starts back in Ephesians 1 
for the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he goes on and talks about the power of the resurrection, that we would experience that power. We would know that power. We'd walk it. And then he kind of gets off into what God did in Christ. But then all of a sudden he shifts back and then he says, and you. It's a continual thought. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Man, that's, that's what makes me joyful when I think about that. I think about, I was dead in trespasses and sin. I was just dead. I was dying. I was headed for death. I would be buried today without Jesus. I would not be alive. I'm convinced. I would, because I was doing bad things that get people badly hurt and death. But I, you know, and I once walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince. Everybody say prince. Prince of the power of our air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Okay? So, working behind the world system, okay, is the devil. That's what Paul's telling. There's this devil working behind the world system, dominating, controlling, influencing men and women and children. That's what, how, this is how the devil works right here. He tells us, and he tells us four pretty powerful things right here. Number one, he said that devil was a prince, okay? A couple other places, Paul and John, well, Jesus said, Jesus called him the ruler of this world. Paul in another place called him the God of this world. So the devil has this place, okay, right now, just like he did here, Okay, and he has authority to back up his kingdom because he's a prince. He has authority. He has his authority to back up his kingdom, the kingdom of darkness. So he exercises this authority over the world and and the things that he brings in the world. But here's the thing we got to realize. The devil has no legal authority over any believer absolutely has no legal authority. So anytime he begins to exercise his authority in your life, he does not have a legal right to do that. You can push back on him. You can force the issue with him where he will have to back off because he doesn't have a legal authority. But if you don't really know that in your heart, he's going to wreak havoc in your life. He's going he's to eat you up. Are y'all good? Never mind, I didn't say that, Becky. You know... Here's something I wrote down. To the, to the to the degree the world system has influence over us, y'all hear that? To the degree that the world influences you, that's the same degree the devil influences you. Are you hearing me? Listen to me. To the degree that we believe what we're being told in the world, to the degree we act like the world, we allow the world to influence our decisions, our thoughts, that's the devil working through that. He's working through that to influence you, to get you to make choices, to get you to make decisions. That's how this deal works. You see, there's not enough demons to go around to possess all of us. There's not enough demons to show up in your house. So what does he do? He strategically uses his demons and and works on people who have influence over other people, like leaders of governments, leaders of industry, and they influence people around them. A businessman who's ate up by demonic things, who's ate up by sin, can influence his business. People can walk into the business. And if you're wise or discerning, you can begin to sense all this stuff and feel all this stuff and know 
what's happening. Know that something's off here. You know, where a, a, a believing person can bring a different atmosphere and bring different results. That's what God's called us to do. He says the authority's in the air. It's in the environment we live. That's why I call it atmosphere. That's where de- the devil's spiritual authority is. It's in the air. It's in the world we live in. That's where he operates from. And it says the devil's a spirit. He's, he lives in this world and operates in the flesh through people. And so we really need to get that and understand that if we're going to over, be overcomers of what's happening to us. Well, anyways. Yeah. Uh, listen to this. I wrote this. The devil lives in a spiritual world, but he exercises control and influence in the natural world through the media. Duh. <laughs> through the media, through philosophy, through educational institutions, through governments, through the church, through religion. That's where the devil's operating. He operates through all these things. All these things, that's what he's doing. And we're sitting around, you know, like sheep being led to some slaughter, believing stuff and listening and allowing all that to come into our hearts. You know, that's why we need the the word of the Lord. That's why we need this spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's why we need to be like uh, the sons of Issachar in the Old Testament. It says, they understood the times. They understood the times and knew what Israel was to do. We need to be people who understand the times we live in and know what America is supposed to do. Know what we're supposed to do in our homes. Know what we're supposed to do in our business. Right? Am I I wrong or am I right? You know, we can't win this thing fighting these agendas. We can win it on a spiritual level, though. If we're tapped into the Spirit, if we're hearing God and hearing His perspective, it's just not going to work. The other way is not going to work. It's not going to work, y'all. I don't care what anybody says. It's not going to work. Paul says we don't fight against flesh and blood, but spirit. But by powers and principalities, you know, bad guys in the heavenly places. Am I being too wild? Yeah. Yeah. Let me read this one to you. Uh, it's about your mind. Okay. This is really, because that's really the first, the first way that, that the devil, the first time he manifested himself in the Bible back in Genesis is he went after Eve's thinking. You know, started saying a bunch of stuff to her. Has God said you can't eat of all the trees in the garden? Well, uh, no, not really. I don't think. He said we could eat all of them but these two. Well, he said that because if you eat that one, You'll be like him. You'll know everything. And that, right? He, he began to work on her thinking. And that's, see, see, that's primarily the way that the enemy has went after us. There's a parable, uh, Matthew 13. Y'all know that? It has a bunch of parables of Jesus, parables of the kingdom, right? All the, you know, the parable of the, you know, seed, the sower went out to sow, you know, parable of the pearl of great plants, parable of the treasure, Parable of the mustard seed. That a man that was a small seed planted that seed. He said, that's what the kingdom's like. And it comes up. This, and it grows into a, a tree. And then what does it say? It says, the birds of the air nest in the tree. Have you ever thought about that? Like, what the heck? You know what that means? 
what he's talking about? He's talking about us. He's talking about our minds. He's saying that when the kingdom comes in and we begin to flourish in the kingdom, there's these birds that are flying over, right? There's an old saying, you can't keep them from flying over, but you can keep them from nesting in your head. And, and that's what happens. The devil, those birds represent demonic thoughts and demonic ideals that come and get into our minds. They nest in our minds. That's what Jesus was telling us in that parable. That there's these thoughts. Now, you know, sometimes the devil just doo-doos on your head, right? <laughs> Have you ever been out on a clear day and you felt a drop of water hit you? You're like, what was that? Did it just a raindrop? No, it was that bird that's just peed. And he hit me. Has anybody ever had a bird doo-doo on them? <laughs> I have. I'm getting out of here. <laughs> the devil's doo-dooing on me. <laughs> yeah. Let me read this 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3. This is what Paul was talking about these Corinthians. He said, he said I fear least somehow, listen, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds... Your minds. He was saying, the devil's going after your mind. He's going after what you think. He's trying to plant bad thoughts into your mind. He ain't just talk, trying to think, plant, oh, look at that pretty girl and guys. That's not just, that's, uh, everybody knows that's not a good thought. He's, he said crafty. There's all these crafty thoughts. He slides in on us that sound right, that sound true, that came from somebody who knew what they were talking about, supposedly. But really, the devil's leaking his thoughts into your, through your mind. Uh, let me, so your minds may be corrupted. Everybody say corrupted. I want to read some definitions of that word corrupted. To pine or waste away. Your mind pining and wasting away. Your mind shriveling. Your mind withering. Your mind being spoiled by deception. Your mind being ruined by moral, bad moral influences. Your mind being defiled. Your mind being destroyed. That's what corruption means. That's what the devil wants to do. He's corrupting your mind. He's defiling your mind. He's wanting your mind to wither away. That's what he wants to do, to wither away so he has complete control over your thinking and, and therefore your actions, therefore your, your speech. And that's what we see in the world. And then he says, okay, uh, from the simplicity that is in Christ, that word simplicity means single-hearted devotion. The devil wants to do all that to get you no longer devoted to Christ. See, that's his goal. His goal is not just to make a bunch of bad people doing bad things. He wants people that are no longer devoted to Christ. He wants people that Christ is not the center of their life. That's what he wants because he knows once he's got you there, then he's got you. Once Christ is not preeminent, once Christ is no longer the greatest thing in your life, once something else has become more than him and, and sh uh, shattered him, the devil can begin to work on you really hard at that point. And Paul was saying to these Corinthian people, even though they were very charismatic people, you know, we've got a charismatic church in the Bible, right? Pentecostal church called the Corinthians. They were bad. We also had evangelical church in there, and they were worse. <laughs> right they're all bad because they're all human beings and it's messy and we all need a savior the church needs a savior we need the lord to deliver us from this stuff we need jesus to help us to help us you know because we we've 
allowed everything else. We've even allowed good things to become our focus. We've allowed good things to become the center. Things of God, you know, and then those things go away and we're disappointed and we're discouraged because they were only for a season. But Jesus is for every season. And God is really calling us to be people devoted to Christ. And that's what Paul's concern was. He wasn't trying to shut them down spiritually. He, you know, he wanted them to quit sinning, you know, and doing bad stuff. But he wasn't trying to stop them from being who they were in Christ. But he did want them to stay devoted to Jesus. Are y'all following this? And so I, I want to say that's where the devil begins in all of our minds. And the devil works in our minds. That's why one of the pieces of armor that Paul asked us to put on was the helmet of salvation to protect our minds from lies and deception. And we really, at this point in history, more than ever, ever in my lifetime, you know, it's become a more high-level deception, more high-level lies where you can't, it's just so hard to try to discern what's true, what's not true. And I'm going to tell you this, y'all, it ain't just people on the left that's lying to us. Listen to me. It ain't just Democrats that have lied. I'll tell you this. Republicans are as big as liars as they are. That's why we got to get dialed into the kingdom so we can listen. We can find the true voice. And when we hear his voice, my sheep hear my voice. Becky's been hammering that thing. My sheep hear my voice. I don't want to just hear a Republican voice or a Democrat voice, a left voice or a right voice. I want to hear the voice of the Lord. And I don't care if it goes against what everybody in the world's saying. We've got to tap into that voice. We really do. I'm just saying that. <laughs> Let me read. Uh, I'm getting close to the end, y'all. So... Hey, we've got a guest preacher next Sunday. I'm not going to tell you who it is, but it's going to be good. No pressure, guest preacher. <laughs> it is going to be good. I'm very happy to get to do that. Matthew 4, 3. Now, when the tempter came to him, tempter, that's what Jesus called the devil, the tempter. That's when he came to Jesus in the, in the wilderness. He said, if you're the son of God, command that these stones become bread. Y'all remember the temptations of Jesus? It, and I think we've talked about this many times. We probably need to talk. Is the first thing he did was question Jesus' identity, right? If, because right before that, what happened right before that? Jesus had, was baptized in the Jordan. He came up, heaven was torn open. And the father said, this is my, be-. actually in Mark, he says it this way. You are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And so, whatever God says to you, the devil wants to make you question that. Right? That, that's what we... And especially who you are in him, your identity, that's the thing. Identity theft is what the devil's into, to steal your identity, to tell you you're not who you really are, to convince you. And he is so convincing because he'll tell it to you and he'll line up all the circumstances around you that will confirm it over and over and over that you are not who God says you are. And you will walk in defeat and you will try to walk in another man's shoes. You will try to put Saul's armor when it comes to spiritual warfare on, on and you will wind up so messed up in your life. Here, I'm telling you because that's how I've lived a lot of my life. So we need to get our identity, but, you know, but here's what the devil was trying to get Jesus to do. Well, if you are, prove it. Prove you're the son of God. 
trying to, in every one of those temptations, he was trying to get Jesus to prove something. In other words, he was trying to get Jesus to act separate from what the Father wanted him to do. He was going after the will of Jesus. Jesus, this is what Jesus said in the garden. I don't want to do this, but not my will, your will. Y'all get this? Right from the beginning, the devil was trying to tie Jesus up to get him to operate separate from what the Father was doing. And Jesus, and that's how he got Adam and Eve. He got them to operate outside of what God was saying. Am I, am I talking to anybody? Let me read this. Y'all know this scripture, but we hadn't read it in a long time. John five nineteen. Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself. Nothing. Nothing. The devil was trying to get him to do something of himself. And Jesus says, I don't, that's not how I operate. I do nothing of my own will. Nothing. For whatever he does, speaking to the Father, the Son also does in like manner. So the devil was tempting him, saying, hey, turn these things. If you're the Son, do it. Oh, well, I'm not seeing the Father turn these bread, these stones bread. I'm not doing it. Every one of those things. He, he didn't hear the voice of the Father. He didn't sense that's what God wanted, so he didn't do it. He, when he went to the cross, he saw himself going, that's where the Father's taking me. That's where I'm going, even though my personal will as a man, because Jesus as a man had a will that was separate from Jesus being the Son of God. He had a human will. He became the greatest human ever. And he revealed us, this is how you live on this world as a human being. Because he wanted to identify and become one of us. God became a human being. He didn't put away his God being a God, but he, brought, he took, took on humanity. Y'all got that, right? That's kind of like, uh, what do we call it? Orthodox, basic, you know, Christianity that Jesus was a man and that he lived his life on this earth as a man full of God. Not just, you know, because, Right? Right? I mean, if Jesus is like, oh, Jesus healed everybody, of course he did because he was God. No, he healed everybody as a man full of God, as a man obeying God. That's kind of important, I think. Uh, yeah, it is, man. So uh, Jesus' life was governed by not my will, but his will. And that's really what the Lord wants us to govern our life on. And that that's, can be challenging at times, Right? You know, I mean, it's, that's where we're tempted at. We're tempted to do stuff that is not really the will of the Lord, even good stuff, even beautiful stuff. And he said, no, Byron, no, this is, this is, my, this is my path for you. This is going to be challenging for you. This, there's going to be hurt that's going to come into your life over this, but this is really what I have for you. In the end, you'll see my wisdom in it. Can I just finish up and read this one more verse, y'all? Okay, yeah, I mean, there's a lot more on this, but I'm just trying to get us to see this morning that we, like I said at the beginning, we had this devil. We got to deal with this devil. And Jesus, he's not yet been put under Jesus' feet. This is where we're at. And the God of peace will crush Satan under whose feet? Do y'all get this? Do y'all understand this? 
Jesus, in 1 Corinthians 15, he's not yet under Jesus' feet. Here Paul is saying, I'm going to tell you who Jesus' feet is. Your feet. It's the body of Christ's feet that ultimately will bring Satan under total subjection. That's, that's what he's saying. He'll crush him under your feet. In other words, he's not yet placed under there. And Jesus is not going to come down off the throne and do it. He's saying, you're going to do it full of the Holy Ghost, empowered by the Spirit. We're the ones. And the devil doesn't, he knows that. That's why he's trying to destroy us. That's why people are lied to and messed up and are believing stuff that's hurting them. Okay? Believing stuff that's hurting them because that's what the devil does. Adrian Rogers, y'all remember him? Good old Adrian, one of the best Baptist preachers ever walked the planet. I think I love that guy. He could preach. He could preach anybody into the ground. He's long gone now, but he was uh, the pastor of Memphis Baptist. He actually, uh, y'all know who Bobby Carner is. I'll just say this: Bobby Carner was a Baptist, and Adrian Rogers discipled Bobby Connors as a Baptist. That's why Bobby Connors knows the word so well. Is because he'll tell you that because it was drilled into him by Adrian Rogers. Uh, you know, of course, Bobby Connors kind of left that camp and right, but you know, went into the prophetic world, which I'm glad he did. Right? You know, you got this gift that God's given you. You gotta, you gotta use that gift. But uh, what was I saying? Oh, Adrian Rogers says, if you're not bothered by the devil, guess what? You're walking on the same path as him. In other words, he's not going to bother you if you're, you're cooperating with him. He's going to like, leave them alone. Don't talk to them. They're doing what I want them to do. I don't need to mess with them. It's those people who push up against it, y'all. Those people who push up against it. And that's really the truth. And it's what I'm telling you this morning. You know, I want to go back to that dream I had. I, I had to personally crush, crush that lie. You know, that the devil is going to kill Becky. I had to crush the anxiety and fear that it put in me about her, that I was going to lose her. I had to do that. I had to stand up. That's why the Bible calls us overcomers, because there's something that must be overcome. You know, the devil's defeated. He's broken. He has no authority over us except for the authority we give him. And so Byron's not a devil guy, right? <laughs> you know, I think I've preached seven messages in my almost 30 years of preaching on the devil. So I can say this with all truth. Mm. But I want to help you. I want to end by this. I think, you know, where it all starts for me is this thought that I've been thinking about for a few months. You're not as messed up as you think you are. You're not as bad as you think you are. You're not as big as failure as you think you are. There's really, nothing that, there's really nothing wrong with you at the end of the day. And I begin to have that thought. Like, well, wasn't, why? Why? That's not true. Look at me. <laughs> I'm really messed up, Lord. No, you're not. You're messed up because you believe you're messed up. You've believed all these lies about yourself. And you've acted on those lies and lived those lies. That's why what's messed up in your life is just what you believe and how you're thinking. If you begin to take on my perspective, then you can get free from all that. You can begin to see yourself different. Begin to see yourself as I see you. And that will give you a lot of peace and a lot of rest. 
You don't have to clamor for things. You don't have to strive for things. You can begin to let God just flow in your life. And you can begin to enjoy your life. You know, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And when you look at your life, those need to be some things that are happening in your life. You need to have, you need to have you know, the right standing with God, and you need to be here to enjoy Enjoy what God's given you. Enjoy who you are as a person. And that doesn't mean there's not things that God's not going to deal with you about, blah, 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 right? Hey, y'all, I'm older now. I've been doing that for a long time. I guess what I'm saying is I'm tired of that, that version of Christianity. I'm tired of always there's something messed up about me that's got to be fixed. I want to get into this new version that Jesus says, I really think you're awesome. I love you. Oh, by the way, there's a couple of things here, but we'll deal with those. We'll take care of those. In fact, when you begin to believe differently, then those things tend to just resolve themselves. And if they don't, some beautiful person will come to you and tell you something one day, you know, admonish you, and you will feel humbled and you will repent. Amen? Amen. Well, okay. Thank you. Let's, uh, let's, let's stand up and I'm going to pray for you, okay? Let's just do that. How about that? Listen, put your hand on your head. Start telling yourself something different. Start agreeing with God about who you are. Start there. Okay, if we could begin to start agreeing with God about who we are as people, as human beings. I think there could be a flood of healing that would happen in your heart and in your mind. A flood. You know, and the stuff that the world's told you and all that, will begin to just, you'll begin to get free of it. And Lord, we just are asking today, Lord, we just acknowledge that, Lord, we just somehow, just so way off from... The truth that sets us free. There's so much more truth that needs to be released into our minds and hearts. There's so much beauty from heaven that you want to show us, Lord, that somehow, Lord, we've limited things. We've believed the wrong things, and we don't want to be limiters, Lord. And so I'm asking you today to begin to work in us, Lord. And do what Jesus said. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind where you begin to get these new thoughts from heaven that begin to change us. Change the way we feel about us. And when we look in the mirror, we won't look at and see all the error and all the wrong, but we begin to look at the beautiful things. And the more we would put our eyes on you, Lord, the more beautiful we would become. And the more gracious we would become and the more loving we would become. Lord, Lord, I'm asking you to do a miracle today. This, this takes a miracle, Lord. This is not something we can do on our own. We, we desperately need you. We desperately need you in this area of our life, especially, Lord. And we're asking you, Lord. Lord, we can confidently ask you. that You said that we, our lives will be transformed when our thinking is renewed, when our thinking is shifted and changed. And we're asking you today, for I just pray that for every person in this room, that our thinking would change. And we can start with us, with, with ourself, and how we think about ourselves. Lord, we're not saying there's 
we're excusing sin or we're looking the other way about sin. We know all that, Lord. We know that's not good. That's unhealthy. That's like eating poison. We're not going to brush over that. We're going to ask you to keep us from indulging in the sins that so easily beset us. We don't want to indulge in that stuff, Lord. I want to say this. I think some of you have coping mechanisms. You know what that means? You get, get in a mess, you get vulnerable or whatever happens, and you start doing things to get comfort. Sometimes there are out, they're, sometimes they're out and out sinful things, just bad things you should not be doing, but sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're, they're not sinful, but they're not right for you. And so we need to break the power of those things over us. We need to somehow let the Holy Spirit be that person that when we're in a mess and we feel vulnerable and we feel alone and we feel just just tore up in our hearts that we don't go and indulge in something, a line of thinking that's evil or a line of thinking that's just not going to be good for us. Lord, we just ask you today to help us. Those are the sins that so easily beset us. Lots of times it's those coping mechanisms. And we don't want to be people who cope. We want to be overcomers. We want to be victors, Lord. I just pray that somehow you'd put something in us the next time we walk into those situations where we feel like we need to cope and whatever that looks like in our individual lives, that we would overcome that and we would keep overcoming it. The Bible says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Don't feel condemned today. Feel, feel loved. Feel, yeah, feel, feel like the Lord's trying to reach you. So God bless you. And uh, hey, we could have a ministry team to come up, maybe some people. That, if you would like some extra prayer or, you know, if they would come up and they'll be glad to lay hands on you and pray for you. And they're very trustworthy people. So God bless you and see you next time.